0: Do you consider yourself a heretic, Mason? Do I? No.
1: Do hey?
2: Do we have her? Do heretics her- classify themselves? Do the heretics think themselves heretics? Yeah, like heretic- who, who? Who claims the the the, the badge of I'm heretical. a heretic, guys?
1: Heretical. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. We do have a lot of heretical. It took me forever to figure out the word. Conversations. Do we though? Uh no. Off, off, oh. Mike. Yes. <laughs> Oh, don't expose us like that, do we? Nation. Though, <laughs> <laughs> not in a serious manner. Joke
0: about heresy. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely not serious. But heresies yeah. <laughs> are a joking matter, don't you know?
2: Oh. So that's what we're talking about today, for the fact that we very flippantly use the word
1: heretic. Yeah, we, uh, I am very bad for calling Tanner a
2: heretic a lot, so yeah, no, no.
0: I That's all we ever do on this uh
1: You
2: call me a heretic. Podcast.
0: Good old cross train. That's right. Matthew Thompson finally remembered the name of the podcast. That's where we look at faith and practice through a... Biblical, biblical
2: lens. lens. Oh, yeah. We did it.
0: We did it. Or, I did it. Finally, I remembered the, the intro. I'm getting progressively worse as time goes on. I mean, we jumped the shark not too long ago. I think we, uh, admitted that on tape. Or, at least I did, so. It's I all downhill from here. You know what? Do you, got, do you know the, the reference? Jump the shark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is it
2: something from Jaws or something? Oh no, it's from no. a
0: TV show back in the day that I. Goodness, I'm I'm accusing y'all of not remembering it, but I can't remember the name of the sh- TV show. But it was a show that was a like kind of a, a comedy esque uh, sort of show. This is like back in the. Before our time, <laughs> and there was an episode where someone literally jumped a shark like on a surfboard, and then the show kind of just went downhill from there. So, then jumping the shark became a term for like a show or a piece of media doing something really weird. And then Rocket power, oh, <laughs> no. you remember that show? Well, now I'm gonna have to look it up because there are people that know what I'm talking about that are yelling at me for not knowing it 100%.
2: So, right. jumping the shark is where you're peeking, right.
0: Uh, Depends on your definition of peaking. Or just falling off. Because you can fall off without peaking. All right. So the phrase derives from a 1977 episode of the sitcom Happy Days, in which character Fonzie jumps over a shark while on water skis. Originally, the phrase was used to describe an an episode of a television comedy with a gimmick or unlikely occurrence, desperately attempting to keep viewers' interest. (laughs) Ah
1: wow so, I, so it's a gimmick so i got it then. mostly right
2: okay sort of
0: i was gonna say 60s for the time but i was like i'm not at all confident in that metric
2: so it's a it's a ploy to get viewers back to watching your show, show. Yeah,
0: and typically it's a sign that things are on a sign out. of desperation yeah because yeah. that's the best you got then <laughs> it's
1: time for us to jump the shark episode no, so, yeah. i mean We're like i said we already did
0: uh, we had our jump the shark episode i can't remember I, when oh, was man was it? <laughs> when
2: was <it?
1: laughs>
0: What was our jump shark episode?
2: I wouldn't even, Are we even jumping the shark?
0: Well, it was. It was a joke, obviously. Oh, but yeah. I, I want to say we referenced it either last episode or the one before that. Mm. But anywho, due to the fact that we've already jumped the shark, it's time
2: to. <laughs> no, do Let, let's we get, are not
1: jumping the shark.
2: Let's delve into some. Heresy. We haven't peaked, guys. Come on. Haven't even peaked yet. This isn't even my final form. <laughs> I'm still in high school, please.
1: Nice. No,
0: I'm not far. <laughs> <laughs> the youngest pup of the bunch. You're not the youngest by much, though, are you? How old are you, 25? I think so. No, I'm 26.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When did you turn 26? Mason. (laughs) Mason. Oh, at 420. Never mind. I don't remember. So, yeah, no, you're like five and a year's half older than me. Wait, what? what? I'm just turning 21 this year. So, yeah, like exactly five and a half months. You didn't know that? I'm just 20, bro. So, five
0: and a half years. You said months. Oh, that time years. But it messed me
2: oh. Up. Did you say months? I did. I well, think. now I'm
0: back to being offended. <laughs> years, yeah. Five and a half years. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, in all seriousness, though, I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. And the heretic is Mason, I guess. <laughs> all, all, all heretics on this glorious day. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about heresy. And this is. A topic that may sound serious to some, and I mean we're we're gonna get into it on a uh, on a serious note uh, at one point during this episode. <laughs> Eventually, but it's a word that you might have heard us use a few times. We're pretty big fans of that that term, heresy, and it's not it's not really a word that exists in the modern English lexicon. I don't think you only really hear people using it no. outside of absurdly specific uh, religious contexts, and even in religious contexts, you don't hear it that much. Like we're pretty much the only people I know that. Use that word.
2: Because <laughs> when I think when you think of the word heresy, I think of like uh-huh. in the Middle Ages of, of like some kind of like sage-looking guy with raggedy clothes and a big exactly. nasty natty beard that's in front I mean. of uh, some form of uh, church setting or whatever. Like, heretic, heretic, heresy, you speak it. So, I mean, that's what I view. You know, what was it? The Princess Bride or something like that. Oh, you yeah. know, just like as satirical top joking thing of just a crazy person in tenfold hat in the Middle Ages type.
1: Yeah, so her- the word heretic actually jumped the shark in about 1845.
2: 1845? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I
1: was like 1845. It like took a, like the word heretic usage like over time. If you look up any word uh, on Safari anyway, I'm sure it's all the same on Google and everything else. It gives you like the definitions. But if you scroll down on the show more, it shows like the use over time and the use for time. Use over time for heretic has declined a lot since eighteen like yeah. forty five. People googled that word a lot in 1845. Oh man, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln, and the invention of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Four score and seven heresies ago. So what is heresy uh, exactly? When when it's it peaked at eighteen something, and a word that we don't really use or don't really know what it is, but yet we kind of used it, uh, not really sparingly with each other. So what is the definition of
0: heresy? Adherence to a religious opinion or doctrine that is not generally an accepted belief or standard. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, that's the issue. It doesn't mean a lot. Like, that's not an incredibly strict (laughs) definition, in all honesty. Like, it's not some gospel term that is, like, black and white. Like, it's either applicable or it isn't applicable. Because just by by the literal definition of this, it says adherence to a religious opinion or doctrine that is not generally an accepted belief or standard like there's a lot of like wiggle room in there because for one the dictionary definition of heresy like that doesn't really jive with what the church has utilized that term for because religion and the dictionary aren't exactly like close siblings so it's it's kind of a, it's a different word, different, a difficult word to just create uh, an absolute definition for that you then apply to said heretics. I mean, that's one of the reasons that it's been, the, when it's used as a term, it's not typically used in a, Gospel fashion, yeah. to, to use that term. Because me, because I kind of agree with you, I think of like the, the Salem witch trials, yeah. for instance, where you had people saying, oh, that, that person's a witch, they're a heretic, burn them. It's not typically used by someone who is genuinely trying to figure out if someone's being a heretic or not. It's used in a very accusatory manner by people that want to accuse
2: yeah, when I think yeah, exactly. That's the picturesque thing that we when we think of heresy is medieval torture chambers and the burning at the stakes. And like one of the persons that I think of is you know John Huss, which was uh, you know a, 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 a back in uh, 1360, 1370s, he was you know burned at the stake. He was a key reformer in the Protestant movement, and uh, he was burned at the stake for his heresy. And he was trying to get the truth where it needed to be set. He tried to get the truth out, kind of like with the you know. Martin Luther, he was a reformer. He was sought out, and he was labeled as a heretic. And he brought brought himself his concerns and his things going towards the church of of England at the time and saying, not England, the church. He was in Germany. I'm struggling I mean, I'm, right
0: now. I thought you were correct when you said Britain, no, but no. then again, I am pretty well known for being geographically <clears throat> stupid. So yeah, let me
2: let me rephrase that. It was in Florida. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> but I mean, uh, the same thing with uh, Martin Luther that he was labeled as a heretic as the the majority of the church for saying, "Oh, we don't need to be paying people's way out of hell. Uh, no, there's no middleman between me and God as a priest." Or, or or bishop of that nature. Like, I have a one way street with God. And so he's kind of a heretic as that, but that's a great staple in our beliefs today. So sadly the point is when when we have that picture of a heretic, people burning at the stake, sadly enough, that's true. That's true church history because people were burned at the stake for being heretics. Yeah. Lots of people
0: have used religion as a as a weapon. Yeah. In that way. Which I mean, again, that's just the sad history of people in general. like the, I mean, it's it's recorded in Scripture, people using their religion as a, as a beaten stick for others. I mean, Jesus addressed it in his time. But uh, when we're talking about heresies, I guess, if our listener-elect out there uh, don't have heresy in their pre-functioning uh, vocabulary bank, I think a better word that we could throw out there for discussion's sake is blasphemy. I think that's that would ring a little more true to to modern ears even though that is also a very old timey word mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it lands a little better would, would you say that those are comparable terms or if comparable there are any differences there
2: they're comparable in the in the sense of their uh, they're comparable in the sense of like their functionality of what they what they're what they're trying to destroy uh, knowingly or unknowingly blasphemy I think is is a lot more um, aggressive in the, uh, in, in the definition heretical or being a heretic i think is is very passive because uh, you may be a heretic and not know it and easily slip in the in the creases of, of a heretical movement um even in today uh but then blasphemy i think is a very an aggressive uh manner of that heretical movement if that makes any sense
0: yeah so I guess uh, a good question to kind of start things off and talking about heresy in a more uh, serious sense is really like, what what is the line? Like,
2: when is a genuine heresy a heresy? Mm -hmm. The problem with heresies and labeling people heretics is that we label it and place it too easily and too quickly. Um, You know, anyone that has a different view or is in danger of being labeled a heretic, no, we may not call them one, uh, but the accuser can be also in danger of false attributing misinterpretations of Scripture or misconstruing the character of God to the thinker, when in reality they do nothing of the sort. So when I think of a heresy, uh, I think what we need to analyze is that what is the thought being moving forward for the individual? Um, So the central understanding is that there is a contrast between two schools of thoughts of a dominant view and a minority view in contrast to a biblical topic. Um, And I think these topics vary in different degrees of severity, Um, either be a gospel impact or divine sanctity. You know, and there are some people that could be labeled heretics for trivial disagreements such as you know the argument about hell or uh, creation is it literal or is it uh, figurative Uh, doctrines and such as um, was Jesus white you know something of that (laughs) nature are you a heretic if you believe that Jesus is white so How I to mean, that
0: backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, a heretic if you don't think he was
2: one. <laughs> but needless to say, some of these minor infractions, I think that are they're they're mislabeled as her- heresies. Where I think, and I think this is, I think this is a, a good uh, standard, and I think that biblical history, church history, has seen throughout the ages, is that when when something is taking the character of God, or or character of Christ and the Holy Spirit and basically flipping it on its head and saying, oh, that's it's, it's something completely different. If they are distorting or slandering the Trinity in any way, form, or fashion, and how Christ functions in the sanctity of salvation, then I think it needs to be evaluated uh, if it is a heresy or not a heresy. And you see that throughout church history, too.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, I mean, disagreements are going to happen. I mean, it's the reason there's like 3,000 different denominations of, uh, of Christianity, and this and that's in modern uh, times. Even in, in Bible times, you had plenty of examples of people being called out for, for not following God because they were doing this one thing as opposed to another. Uh, I mean, it was an issue with Jesus. He was accused of, of blaspheming, of, of being a heretic in some senses, and Jesus uh, called that out in others. Uh, for instance, in Matthew chapter 7 uh, verses 1 through 5 says, "Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce on you will be ju- oh, crap. <laughs> you're struggling too. <laughs> yeah. You're contagious. <laughs> ah! In uh Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 says, "Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and the measure you use it will be measured to you." Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, "Let me take the speck out of your eye" when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now of course that uh, the context there surrounding the fact that I mean Jesus is ushering in this new law and the Pharisees have quite a bit of a problem with that while they aren't following the law quite as closely as they thought they were in the first place and this was an example of jesus calling that out uh, but i think that definitely applies to this subject as well because you have plenty of people with little uh, theological differences here and there that they seem to be under the impression that if you don't understand scripture the exact same way that i do then clearly one of us is wrong and i know it's not me so i gotta set you straight i mean We've had uh, discussions even on this podcast about some things that we disagree with. Does that mean that one of us is going to hell? I mean, probably, but ain't me. So it's ain't okay. me. Not it. <laughs> ain't no, me. Called
2: call not it. <laughs> <laughs> Mason, sorry you're the odd man out. Yeah, I'm the left. It's your it's your red hair.
1: <laughs> it's time for me to jump the shark.
2: <laughs> Can that which has no soul. Yeah, um, I'm good. Yeah, i you You're too. good. <laughs> true, you guys. But I mean, you even see within the New Testament um, that it's not really called a heresy per se, but uh, when Paul and uh, is having a conversation with Peter and the Judaizers, you know, their conversation is over the the necessity of circumcision for salvation. That's a you know basically a heretical statement comparative to the statements of Christ, and so Paul is pointing that out to you know the the Judaizers and and Peter is like you know you need to fellowship with the gentiles and circumcision circumcision does not save you sorry that's not that's not the key here that's not what jesus was speaking so it's going against the the justification of christ so that is a heretical movement of the judaizers so there's a, another uh, early sanction of 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 someone speaking out against heresies
0: yeah when talking about heresies in a serious sense uh, i just want to make it clear like uh, one of our goals in discussion here is to, to make it clear that little differences do exist within a theological opinion. Like, is, your foundation has got to be, like, there is an objective foundation to have. you got to believe yeah. in the cross. you got to believe in the Trinity. There are these things within Christianity that, like, there there is no debate to be had.
2: So when we talk about church history, too, I think church history is a good thing to look at. Because uh, throughout the times, you know, there's countless, countless, you go to a list of church heresies, and there's caboodles of them um but one of the things that has happened and i think is very intelligent for the church to do this is that when they're faced with, with an accusation or a statement of faith that goes against christ the trinity and the baptismal faith and of, of, of other things of that nature uh, that christ said when we're when they're met with adverse uh, with adversaries and disagreements it's Good, it's good to come together and and look and see, okay, what is Jesus saying? What do we need to believe in? So there's statements of faith throughout history. So one of the very first statements of faith is called the Apostle Creed. And there's really three main, three big uh, creeds that are made mention is the Apostles Creed and the Seeing Creed and Athanasian Creed. So what I'm saying here is that Church, churches, the church in the past, when they're met with a problem, they meet together to affirm their belief and their standard of faith. So, you know, the, I think the Apostle Creed came out in 150 around that time, Nicene Creed like 320, and I think the Athanasian Creed like 5th century or something of that nature. Um, and each of these creeds, the church came together, was facing a different heretical movement. Uh, and I think that's good for when, when it's faced with uh, if an idea comes up and it's very like, eh, I'm not sure about that, let's come together and see what Scripture says. Let's bounce it off to Scripture and affirm what Jesus says. So the creed, creed, credo for Latin is, is I trust and I believe. So you're making a statement of affirmation of like, I trust and I believe with this. So it's basically coming with a standard of belief. Uh, and I think it's good to uh, look at these creeds. Now, take it for granted, there has been some changes throughout time to, uh, to adapt to the Catholic Church. As well, um, but the Nicene Creed is, I think, is a good standard to measure against a lot of heresies because it makes mention of this is what I believe uh, in Scripture. This is what I believe about Christ. This is what I believe about God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, and His salvation through the Virgin Birth. So it's very important to have a standard of belief. Um, Tanner, yo, can I throw out some uh,
0: <laughs> some ghost peppers? I like peppers. Some some spice. Go ahead. Some some nuclear level spice. What do you think about, uh, about treatises? Treatises. Yeah, like a treatise. Okay. Are you familiar with like a denominational treatise?
2: Yes. Well, what,
0: what do you think about those in comparison to,
2: to creeds? Treaty, tr- treatises and creeds, I think, uh, is w- one a spawn of another. I think a creed is something that is a universal statement of faith, uh, saying that this is a, a core value. Um, now, I mean, we're, we're, a lot of churches today, a lot of Protestants and Anglicans and Catholics, they recite these creeds, Apostle creeds and Nicene creeds in church to say this is a statement of faith. But treaties, I think those are like, those are fluctuating. I, those can fluctuate. Creeds, I don't think they should fluctuate uh, because God doesn't change. He's not... A, a, changes modes throughout time. He's the same. And so I I think we should, you know, believe what Jesus says. And we need to believe these early church fathers uh, and and trust them and trust what they say because that's what Christ says. But a lot of the treaties, they make statements of – what's the word I'm looking for? Statements of – Like positions on beliefs? Yeah, they go a little bit further than just – because I've, I've read them, but yeah,
0: before uh, I think it was like the 2011 edition of our church's uh, treatise. I mean, I read it ages ago, but I don't fully remember. It. But my whole, my my personal opinion on a treatise is I don't see why they're necessary. <laughs> in all honesty, because I mean, we have scripture. Like, what more do we need? And I'm kind of thinking that same way when you're talking about these creeds. And maybe I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking about it the wrong way. So I'm kind of telling you this so you can maybe give me a case for them. Or Mason, you might have uh, input on this as well. well. Like, How is a treatise different from a creed? And regardless of any differences or similarities, why are treatises and creeds needed when we already have Scripture?
1: I think especially they're really good for someone that's coming to church for the first time. That, you know, not to say, like, they don't know anything about Christ, but they're just not very familiar with church and Christianity. Like, what do Christians really believe? And to have, like, a treatise or a creed wrote out or to, like, have one and give it to them and say, like, look, we believe that this guy, Jesus was more than just a guy. He was God the Son who came to earth as a man so that he could, you know, fulfill what we have in the old testament as the you know the old law to fulfill it and you know be that ultimate sacrifice so that we're not making sacrifices sacrifices at the passover every year
2: mm-hmm. and, and i agree with that i think that's it's creeds and, and treaties are good for those that hey i have questions about like what do you believe what does this church believe what does the christian faith believe and i think that i've read our treaties too and like I think they 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 leave a lot, of, a lot of a lot of the things that we people would claim as heresy such as like the hell conversation and the uh, creationism conversation. They leave that a little bit open but not quite open to a heretical statement. Uh, for for those that say, you know, I believe in eternal conscious torment versus conditionalism or universalism uh, or dage theory or creationism, but uh, it 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 kind of closes the gaps on someone questioning of, like, what do you specifically believe? Okay,
0: all right, I can sort of see that. So it's like kind of a, a condensed version of our interpretation of Scripture or what yes. our denomination mm-hmm. declares to be uh, a good interpretation of Scripture. Because, I mean, obviously, if you have, like, a, a, a new Christian or a, an unbeliever who's, who's interested in uh, a church or getting into that, like, the Bible is a pretty
1: big book. And it is pretty hard to understand. So I guess that is a pretty good it's like, step nuts, one. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly what that's exactly what I was going to say. Like a, a treatise is what you know, what our church or you know our church church association or whatever it may be has come together to pick out a lot of high points that we think are very important. That should just like if somebody was to say, "What do you believe?" Here are some of the big high points of what we got from the Bible that we believe. Man, I wasn't
0: expected on, to, to be sold on treatises today, but here we are. Shoot. So that, that's the thing I've learned in this episode so far. Man, how hard would it be to, to write up a cross-training
1: treatise? <laughs> that that one field that, in John. That it one, would be harder that, than our church one, I promise you that.
0: Okay. That one field in the book of John. It, it Don't get me hardest. started on that. <laughs> Don't get me started on
2: that. I'm, st- I'm, I'm still burnt on that one. Still, still a little... Still a little is that
0: one going to make it into the, into the first edition or is that going to be like a rotted or something?
2: Well, let's just say that uh, I'm the heresy of the three when it comes to that conversation. But yet when the big scheme of things of, of church understanding and scholars, you two are heretics on that conversation.
0: Listen here, we're going to be the only two people in heaven because everyone else missed that. <laughs> okay. God was like, that one right there, that was they the got big it right. one. That was the big one. Sorry, like, guys. Y'all thought you were supposed to, to accept Jesus. Shoot, that was a side note. It was all about
1: that field. It was the make or break, man. I'm uh, just kidding because that is actually a heresy. I just yes. Said. <laughs> That would be interesting if we tried to make one, because I it would be very hard. I feel like for a lot of things, For one we disagree too much. There'd yeah. be three
2: editions, yeah. <laughs> revisions. Uh, but there are some. I think there are some arguments that are dangerous and defame or misrepresent major tenets of the character of God. And I think when you're talking about the character of God, this is where we need to analyze uh, their their thoughts and analyze this a lot of times. And uh, I kind of put in my notes here, and, I, and like I said, there's a plethora of heresies. If you're interested in heresy, there's heresiology, which is a study of heresies, and heresiographies, which are writings about heresies. And So there's plenty of material out there for heretical knowledge if you're interested. Uh, if you
1: want to become a heretic, there is an easy way. Google. Google. <laughs> Quickly.
0: Which I think it's an interesting note to draw up. Like, this might seem like a foreign concept to a lot of listeners, and a lot of that is just because, especially here in the American South, like, Religion's pretty steeped into our culture, and even though not all of it is sound by nature, because well, I mean, we've mm-hmm. already had the discussion about traditionalism versus progressivism, so I won't get into that here. Uh, like most stuff that has stood the test of time is biblical, because only the Bible can stand that test of time. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to go over as legitimate heresies just aren't too common.
2: Uh I would disagree. Really? Okay. Well, I think I think yeah I think these uh, I pointed out I'm pointing out three different heresies that the church has faced throughout time and the ma- majority of the church has come together and said yeah this is not biblical truth. Uh and I would say that these heresies are prevalent in today's uh teachings. One of the first heresies to come against the church uh through the 1st and 3rd century was called gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism which Gnost is basically I think that is Greek for knowledge Uh, so it's like unknown knowledge so having two main premises of Gnosticism is one that physical matter is inherently evil and spirit is naturally good real life exists only in the spirit realm basically Uh, The second premise is that Gnostics claim to have higher knowledge that is not revealed to anyone else but them. They've somehow reached a higher plane of knowledge that that surpasses anyone else. Uh, And this heresy denies salvation by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. But it asserts that salvation is gained through the acquiring of divine knowledge. Um, but this contradicts Jesus' teachings completely that it is only revealed to certain people because John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you know, we're talking about systemically here, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it, to say that you can only be saved through divine knowledge that is only revealed to certain people is a very heretical statement when Jesus basically came to die for every single one, and he, he says that. Constantly in his statements of faith, or his statements of of uh, this is what I come to do. So one thing I think this has come into the church today is that there is a movement within a uh, uh, within within uh, the Christian church is that you know you can own you can have this. Special gift, or the special knowledge of God, if you would only do these certain things, if you reach these benchmarks and you do all this, you do all this, and you can automatically be placed into a higher knowledge of understanding of God. And this is really seen within a uh, 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 health, wealth, and prosperity gospel a lot of times, is that you know if that the only way to really understand God and to know him is to reach all these benchmarks to understand the knowledge of God and to is a, it's a it's a revealed uh, understanding a prophetic uh, understanding so the Gnostics they believe that Jesus didn't actually have a physical body which which is really weird uh, anyways they just seemed to be real his body just looked like it was physically there but not really there which later, heresy called docetism, which is like a spurring off, like a I guess a, 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 a I subdivision. Say, yeah, a subdivision of Gnosticism, which views this na- nature destroy the reality of Christ and his human and his divine nature the way of, for the way of grace. So there's that wood vomit for Gnosticism, and Gnosticism is kind of like the grandfather of her- heresies in the Christian church. Yeah, I'm trying to
0: figure out like where the where gnosticism like claims to get its scriptural backing
1: from but i just
2: there is no uh, spirit, uh, yeah. scriptural backing
1: it's all knowledge you yeah. don't yeah, it's just given to you, you know? yeah so it's just basically <laughs> I this like i know it man this is crazy it's just it's, just, it's just just basically giving.
2: that you know being being a christian is just special revealed knowledge to only certain people yeah uh, basically putting in a hierarchy or a tiered system of of the faith when basically the faith in itself is everyone is equal. That's the part of it, you know, all because my gifts are different than yours, but yet the Spirit indwells people equally. So it's it, it doesn't make any sense that they would put a tier system on spiritual things, spiritual matters.
0: Yeah, my whole thing with heresies like this where you can't even find like a verse out of context to support it just makes me worry for the mental capacity of those that ascribe to it like, yeah. it's just such a wild concept to me because the thing is these these people claim christianity even though it is a hollow shell of christianity i mean you can't even call it that but how do these people withstand more than one debate with someone's like okay tell me where scripture points to this yeah because it, it, it doesn't like Again, you can't even take anything out of context to mean this stuff. It's ridiculous.
2: Well, all because it sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. You know, I mean, all because it's it's tickling my fancy doesn't mean it's 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 the truth. And I think that's one thing the Bible, God's Word, is a good standard to go back to when someone is is preaching or saying or or teaching a, a different type of Christ. Then it's like, uh, is that right? Is that true? Well, let's go back and and see what's actually being said. Uh, and I think this is one one of the earliest uh, conversations that the church had uh, was over Gnosticism. Uh, and I think there are still some like, Gnostic sects out there today. Um, one of the second uh, heresies I want to point out that I think is also a spawn of or a subdivision of Gnosticism, and I think, like I said, this is the grandfather of, of heresies, is, uh, I love this term, adoptionism. Uh so adoptionism is a theory that Jesus was God's adopted son. Uh and it teaches that because Jesus was sinless, he was a good man and you know he was born into a a, a a a real home but he never did sin. He was completely sinless. God chose him and adopted him uh to be the son of God. So adoptionism states that Jesus was only man and later become or became God. Yep. And that one does actually have some out of t-
0: context of course. Uh, scriptural basis uh, that people claim uh, that believe in adoptionism. And that's one of the main ones is when he's being baptized and you see like there's the voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Like they think that that is the point yes. at which like Jesus yep. became one with God to which I would reply, he got baptized pretty late in life. So you mean to tell me that he absolutely could have sinned up to that point for 30 because years that, that, I mean that takes power out of, yep. uh, out of the cross so i mean that that weakens christianity as a whole if you decide to ascribe to that because then if you're like oh no well he definitely didn't sin before then why would god wait until then to make him the son of like so that and so also with the
2: conversation of the virgin birth like what's the exactly. point of the virgin birth because okay. what is part of the sin debt or this the sinful nature is the seed of adam which yeah. the virgin birth eliminates that he's still man from virgin mary but then he's also divine of sinless nature through God, the father.
0: And then there's some other uh, sects of adoptionists that think that instead he became the son of God, like after he died, Mm -hmm. which is even more ridiculous to me because then why even have the story of Jesus in the first place? You could have picked literally anyone to die be like, okay, now I'm going to put all the sin on this soul right here and then we're just going to do away with it. Like that, again, it just makes no sense. But at least they took the
2: effort to take some verses out of context. So I mean, hey, pat on the back for that heretic. Yeah, and and one one place we could see this today is uh, is the New Age movement of Christianity, in which I mean, the New Age movement is moving, you know, strives in the church with uh, Karens and their essential oils. Hey. Uh, you know, so and, and this is one thing that is dangerous because it's then it's it's kind of goes back to the Gnostic view of like you know Jesus, he was man, just like me and you. Yes, that's true. But he was, you know, he reached a higher plane of knowledge. He did, He was so sinless, and he was so good that God chose him that he became God. Well, I mean, Tanner, you yourself said that he had to learn. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's all I was thinking about. I just would not say it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's, okay. <laughs> I still agree with my statement. We had technical difficulties that day. We oh, my gosh, that was, that was a rough day. That was, that was a good day. <laughs> He learned through – okay, we're not having this conversation again.
1: (laughs) I think that day was the most me and Matthew have ever supported each other.
2: And that was the most – that was the day that I mostly got so upset because you were understanding where I'm coming from. We're all about to – do some we're
0: about to pile drive each other.
2: <laughs> but anyway, this you know, this statement of adoptionism is easily, quickly refuted in John chapter one. Uh, the first verse it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, and the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John quickly refutes this adoptionistic viewpoint that Hey, I can become God if I am sinless, that God chose me. And that's just completely her- heretical in that sense that it, it defaces the divinity of Christ completely and replaces it with a very humanistic, naturalistic view of Christ and says, okay, this deity that Christ obtained is obtainable for myself as well and you can even see this within um the the mormon faith that you know you can become a god uh if you just you know apply all these tenets to your life and you apply all these uh, statements of of things you do all this work and do all this yada yada you can become a god and that's exactly what we see here in adoptionism that it can easily be transferred into 21st century church as well which i'm not calling the mormons uh Heretics. No, I'm calling them heretics. Okay, I was about to no, say. No, I'm not. I'm not calling them part of the the faith because you see a lot of these videos and these advertisements for the Mormon faith, Mormon Church, and say, yeah, we're Christians. Are you worshiping the same Jesus as I am? No, I don't think so. So there, there's, there's, which I'm, not, I wouldn't say that to their face. I would, I would say, I would have a conversation with them more lovingly. But needless to say, they're heretics. Sorry, listener Alex, if you're uh, a Mormon, you're elected to repent. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I wouldn't be too surprised, though. There's a lot of Mormons around here. Yeah,
2: well. Don't trash talk the Mormons. I want them on this show. That is true. We want a conversation with a Mormon.
1: I don't know any Mormons, though. I know a bunch of Mormons. I How many do you want? I some Mormons in high school, but... How many do you want? To all of them. <laughs>
2: well, I all know. of
0: them in
1: here. And I just want to ask them why. <laughs> why?
2: <laughs> do I have to wear those garments when I get up there? Those, those holy garments?
0: Do I have to pay for them? If they're free, I'll wear them. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like glorified diapers, it looks like. Do about yeah. anything
1: if it's free. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
2: So uh, the third uh, heresy I kind of wanted to point out is called uh, Pelagianism. Uh, and this heresy comes from a monk. And a lot of heresies come from certain individuals, and they're kind of named after other individuals and, or a group of people. Uh, but Pelagianism comes from a monk called Pelagius, who lived between 300 and 400, somewhere around there. He believed and he taught that we are all naturally good. That when we come out of the womb, we are all good people. And when we sin, it's only because we purposefully choose to do it. It doesn't come natural to us. Like, sinful nature doesn't exist. It's, it's something that we choose, that we want to do it. We, you know, consciously want to do it. Which, there's argument for that too. But then that kind of goes, let's, let's, we'll talk about it here in a second with Scripture. But what Pelagianism does, it removes total depravity from our consciousness and it's stating that following God is based solely on your will, nothing to do with the supernatural change of the
0: heart. Yeah, Pelagianism is a real fun one because, I mean, just looking at the, the Wikipedia for it, for one, starts off as saying Pelagianism is a heterodox Christian theological position. Like, make sure to, that, like, what, oh, goodness, <laughs> which that's funny to me, but I'll, I'll read the definition of uh, heterodoxy, heterodoxy, however you say it. Uh, It means any opinions or doctrines at variance with an official or orthodox position. So basically, like, it affirms heresy within the description. But um, continuing on, it says, Pelagius, who lived from 355 to 420, a British ascetic and philosopher, taught that God could not command believers to do the impossible, and therefore it must be possible to satisfy all divine commandments. He also taught that it was unjust to punish one person for the sins of another. Therefore, infants are born blameless. So that, that's fascinating to me because that is a great example of how our sense of justice and like reality cannot equate to God's because we are not God. Like there are some things that just aren't going to make sense to us because we are imperfect fallen beings. Mm-hmm. Because the statements that he just said make sense. I mean, if you're operating outside of Scripture and not understanding what scriptural yeah. truth is, not understanding what who God is, those statements make sense. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. If my theology is super weak, it'd be easy to convince me, like, yeah. Why would God tell me to do something that's impossible? Because it's impossible for me to do it alone. And I've also got this really cool advantage of God is willing to forgive all sins. Like that, that little combo there is important. But if you're not strong in, in your the, uh, in your foundational Christian beliefs, like yeah,
2: that's, that's a that's a pretty seductive yeah. theological concept. And this is one like Pelagius and uh, the Pelagianism has seen its time and time again coming and easily uh, intersecting with Christian belief and Christian doctrine because it is so easily uh, obtainable. Like, it's, it's easy to the palate. It's very easy to the palate. But what does Scripture say about these things? And a lot of things, that, that, that's a good conversation with, you know... Uh, with infancy and you know age of accountability, that's that's something that like scripture doesn't it doesn't say anything about that. So it's like where where do we draw the line? Where is there any doctrinal faith or treaties about this? To be honest, there's no creeds about that, and I haven't seen anything about treaties uh, treatises about uh, the accountability of that age. So where are we drawing the line here? Of like so if my son is you know three years old and he dies, is he going to heaven or hell? Where's the conversation?
0: Yeah, I know you've basically like said it with context clues, but just for the of make sure the information's out there. What is the age of accountability? I don't know. No, I mean like the liberal, oh, like definition of that. Okay, we were
2: just kind of
1: throwing it gotcha. around. Oh.
2: <laughs> there might be some legalities <laughs> left okay, out there. We're in like, the wrong branch that for that. Yeah, uh, but age of accountability is basically uh, stating that to us, from birth to whatever age the individual understands the difference between right and wrong and can make decisions. Of that nature understands that they are doing wrong, and they can they can accept a natural state of sin, then can understand the natural state of grace through Christ on the cross. So that's basically them understanding, the age of them understanding grace, faith, and the understanding of Christ. So where is that age? I'm not 100 sure. I think it differs on different people. I think there's some with mental disabilities that they never understand that. So I think that God's grace extends to that, uh, to them. Uh, But then there's some that I I was saved at at the age of five. But then there's some people, some kids that are daggum intelligent and are saved at the age of four or three or whatever. I'm not not sure. I'm sure there's stories out there. Um, But the age of accountability is of of that nature. When you understand the difference between right and wrong and you know that you are doing wrong, and then the conversation of Christ is interplayed within that conversation. I'm going to
0: use this audio to uh, argue in favor of universalism when we have that episode. Just... All infants. Heads up.
1: Just oh, heads gotcha. up.
0: I'm going to take it out of context and remove important words. I love it. And you're going to support universalism in that episode. I might throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of heresies.
2: <laughs> but what does Scripture say about Pelagianism? Scripture states things differently than what Pelagius states. So John six forty four: No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So basically... You are only called to grace. I mean, you were only saved when you were called to grace. You know, it's not something that you naturally do. That's not something that you want to do on yourself. And God calls all of us to grace, but yet we are the ones that have to make the decision to follow that. You're starting to sound a little Calvinist. I was was getting itchy. Well, I mean, but the thing is, though, that's a conversation in itself. I'm, I'm not a full Arminius, but I'm not a full Calvinist. I'm like, you know, I want to read what Scripture says because sometimes, you know, God forces people's will a little bit look at Paul did he ever choose to go down Damascus Road and bam there goes a the lot he kind of had his will t- twisted but he chose and the end, end of schemes to go to he Ananias chose to stay blind. Yeah, he could have chosen. uh but continuing on, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, as it is written, none is righteous. Boom. Like, there's another statement of, of like, hey, this is wrong. There's none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. That's like basically a punch in the face to Pelagius. Like, I'm sorry, but you're not born righteous. You're not born holy. You're not born good. You're... Righteousness or filthy rags, you know. Yeah.
0: This is kind of a sidebar, but man, I love how just hardcore Paul is on the idea that like without Christ we are not capable of doing any good. Like even any good that we accomplish is only good because God is in it. Like the the amount of power and glory that he ascribes to, to Christ in honor of the good things that we do for him is just I I freaking love like, it.
2: Like if you think you're a good person, read the first like couple chapters of Romans. Uh just to let you know. Yeah. Uh you're gonna Leave beaten up and distraught. Because
0: yeah, I love that passage where Paul goes on about like him not being capable of doing good because the flesh just naturally wants to bad. It says I constantly do the things that I do not want to do. Like it's just I love his view on that. It's so, it's hardcore. So was like he doesn't pull his punches.
2: so was Paul Pelagianist?
0: Uh, he was a Paulagianist. <laughs> no,
2: hey. just kidding. <laughs> But here's some here's a here's some dis, dishonorable mentions uh, I want to point out that I think is kind of I saw, interesting. I saw that I was just laughing. <laughs> so uh, one is uh, Sabellianism, which is is, is basically a, a form of modalism that Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are one, but yet they're just one. So when Jesus was on Earth, there was no one on the throne in heaven. There was no God, and so right now there is no one in heaven. It, the Spirit is with us now. So it's basically God the Father taking modes throughout the transport of time, so he, he's not three individuals all in one. He's just one person, not separate. You know, you say dishonorable mention,
0: but like that's another one that, like, by human logic, makes sense.
2: Like, yeah, because we tr- can understand the Trinity is a
0: hard yeah. concept. Like, I know it's kind of just something that we accept because it's it's. I mean, it's a foundational belief. Uh, and I mean, in order to believe in the God of the Bible, I do believe that you need to. You need to believe that the Trinity is true. Yeah. But that doesn't. Believing and comprehending are two very different things, though. Because if you ask me to explain to you how God is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost all at the same time at all times,
2: good luck. I do not have a concrete answer for you. You you bring up the Dadgum Ice Cube conversation, I'm going to smack you in the face because that's the dumbest, dumbest explanation. I hate it. Like the rapper? No. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, the like the water vapor ice cube uh conversation and it's three different things but all at one. But that's a that's a f- affirmation of modalism of like Crap. now okay. I'm thinking of the creation story and every time God says it is good, yep. ice cube like
0: and it was a very good day.
1: <laughs> at the end of the day.
0: It was a very good day today. Oh, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I was zoned out when he said that because I was too busy laughing myself. No. But repeat to me the ice cube thing.
2: So the ice cube is a, people throughout time, you know, within the early, you know, 90s and late 90s, 2000s, have tried to explain the Trinity in a way that's understandable. Oh. And okay. they say, you know, it's like water. Water's a liquid here, and then you freeze it, and then it's a solid. And then you make it hot, it evaporates. And so it's still H2O. It's still water, but in three different forms. I'm thinking... You're basically yeah, describing Sabellianism, sub- yeah. you know, modalism. It's like it can't be the ice and the vapor at the same time. Like it's separating. It's it loses its uh, its structurability. As an ice cube, and it's no longer an ice cube when it's vapor or liquid. So it's like this. Th- this this proves your point here. You got to get on that fidget spinner theology. Yeah, but this is this is today's yeah fidget spinner.
0: You got you got a fidget spinner with like three branches coming off of it. Got father, son, holy ghost. Spin it, boom, God. And that's
2: only the only that's balance it. that you need. That's it. Uh, but this is uh, seen today within oneness theology. I think T D. Jakes is a you know is a big prominent uh, within that group of prosperityness of oneness theology. Uh, another dishonorable mention is uh, Arian. Uh, Orionism, which is basically Jesus was created specifically for salvation. So, I mean, it's like, you know, in my logic, it sounds good, but... The thing is, that one makes a lot of sense unless you dive into the
0: Trinity, which I think a lot of Christians don't do, because I think a lot, a surprising amount of Christians would give you a very blank stare if you presented to them the fact. Like, you do realize... That Jesus existed before the New Testament, right?
1: Have you ever heard of the concept of the divine son? They'd probably be like, "Yeah, the div- What? What? Yeah, it- o- honestly, like if you're trying to introduce somebody to Christianity and you just start off like there was a man, like who came, or there was, like, God the Son that came as a man." And you're like, oh, so he w- he came to earth like to do this. And it's like, well, yes, he did, but he was also there before. Yeah, no, if somebody doesn't clarify that, that could get twisted very easily. Because that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Well, think about it this way. Think about it like if, if you're sitting in the shoes during, you know, first, second, third century, and the church is booming, okay, so you have some things haven't been fleshed out yet in, in, in doctrinal understanding and the way the church is progressing. You know, I mean, look at the when Peter was preaching. You know, thousands of people were saved. You've got thousands of ideas of what just happened and so a lot of these things peter's trying to figure out the apostles are trying to figure out paul's clarifying some things and still trying to figure out things as well and just think about it i mean you have all these different people people coming together and worshiping god but yet they don't understand fully what's probably going on but yet they're still worshiping god but yet ideas pop up and start some movements here that are uh, very anti-god you know, and that's why
0: it's really important for churches and for people that are ministering uh, to non-believers uh, that are becoming new believers you got to make sure that foundation gets set because it can be really easy to form these heretical beliefs on accident i mean that's a great way for for satan to get in there and steer someone the wrong way by being like oh hey you just got saved that's good good for you hey how, how about you uh, apply some logic some human logic to to the Jesus story, he was he was clearly just created specifically because that it makes sense to the logical brain unless you build those uh, theological roots within Scripture, and not every new believer is gonna
2: bust through the Bible in one go. <laughs> well, let's let's rephrase that too, because I think there's logic behind Scripture, but yet twisted logic. Well, yeah, that's why I'm specifying human logic. Okay, like that, that's why. Well, I, don't I mean, know if
0: I said human logic every time, but that's but implied. what is human logic though? That's a good question well, that's, too. That's fallen, like that's uh, like the logic of man, human logic. I would say fallen logic
2: because human logic is designed before the fall. Well, fine, so well, let's logic. Connor, hey, okay, like sorry, logic. sorry 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 sorry. Uh, but the last dishonorable mention is a uh, monophysitism is basically saying that Jesus was a hybrid. You know, he was a, a you know 50% god, 50% man. There was no 100%, 100% of to the name? Yeah. So, uh, it's just like there is no verse that says Jesus was a 100% god, 100% man. And and that. Exact. Sense, okay, and in our logic, our human fallen logic, it does make sense that okay, so how can you be one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man? You're two hundred percent of something. How does that work? You know, I mean, if there's anyone that could be two hundred percent something, then it's, it's got to be, be God. It's got to be God. <laughs> yeah. it's it's beyond our understanding. Yeah. So, when all talk about all these heresies and all this stuff and heretics, yada yada, what does the Bible say, and what should we do? Um, Matthew, we read Titus chapter 3, verse 10, if you don't mind. Because I think this is, do 10 and 11, because I think this is a, a, a core statement that Titus is saying here uh, that is very important for us to understand when it comes to dealing with heretical statements or heretics that are making movements within the church. You know, I'm
0: personally a, a really big believer that having a physical Bible on you, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But one advantage that uh, I, can't, I can't think <laughs> and also keep the order of books in my head, uh, one advantage of having um, an electronic Bible in front of you is being able to find books of the Bible really quickly. I say this as I'm slowly flipping through the New Testament to find Titus because it's sandwiched between a bunch of stuff that's really short. See, I'm hitting 1 Timothy right now. We're almost there. Titus
2: flee, in Hebrews. It's really fun because,
0: like, as I'm explaining what I'm doing, it's messing up my ability to remember which order the books are in, so it takes (laughs) me even longer. So anyway, I have now arrived at Titus. Could you tell me what to read again?
2: Chapter 3, verses 10 and
0: 11. All right. So that says, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person, person is warped and sinful, he is self condemned. That's
2: strong words. Yeah. So what do you all think about that?
0: Well, I mean, that's uh, th- that speaks to how important it is to be educated on scripture, like the importance of God's word. Because it's acknowledging like if you present the word to someone and make it clear like, hey, what you're saying, it does not test against scripture. Like it Would you that-
2: say scripture proves itself? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely say that. Boom, <laughs>
2: roasted.
1: Like,
0: yeah. So if what you're saying does not stand up to it, like, like you're letting that fallen logic get in the way. And if someone is willing to prioritize their fallen logic over the logic of Scripture, then I mean, wh- what can you do? Yeah. I mean, what more is there to do than to say, hey, there is no defense against Scripture in what you're saying. Like, it's clear that their interest is not to further God's kingdom. It's clear that their interest is not to treat Scripture as the inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what more can you do with them?
2: And I like how he makes mention here, the very first part, is that, like, he he has already two contentions of grace. Of, like, approach him once. Approach him a second time. You know, and if he still is not, uh, uh, you know, disavowing or recanting his, you know, his her- heresy, then it's like, you know... Then he's just doing it because he's sinful. He's got a sinful, and he condemns himself. You know, just then, just put away with him. You know, don't do anything with him anymore, because he's just he, he's affirming this uh, heretical statement that goes against God's character. Uh, and I think this is one thing that y'all need to do. I think you need to repent and come to me and say, <laughs> and say you know, I'm just kidding. About to say, if You mention that field. I'm coming
0: across this table.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like,
0: this is gonna go well, Good No, kick
2: you get no. Drop no, but I, I guess you all have to disown me since I'm not recanting my my statement of uh, of, of Listen, what that's Jesus. Why that's did one of me. those areas.
0: It's okay to be wrong in. No. Right. But anyways. It's, it's like the hell opinions. <laughs> you're not you're not going to hell for for being. Well, I mean that's there. the
2: same thing. Like exactly. That's not that's not <laughs> <Exactly>. that section. <laughs> hold up, hold up. John chapter four, with that conversation, is that. That is not going against God's character at all. That's not going against who Jesus is. That's basically saying, did he do this or did he do that? And it was just a miracle. You know, did Jesus do this miracle or was it just like, a, a, just a, a statement that he made that and was hypothetical. before anyone hypothetical. listening
0: like yells in their car, what do you mean just a miracle? Friendly reminder that the end, at the end of the book of John, it is said that Jesus pulled off a lot more miracles than what yeah. you saw in the Bible. So there were a dime a dozen in terms yeah, of Yeah, but John quantity. just pointed
2: out seven signposts directed towards uh, the cross. So And those seven signposts, the field, if you want to call it a miracle, was not included within that signpost towards the miracle of the cross. So needless to say, In this group, at this table, I'm a heretic because I am, with the definition, I am the minority of the opinion, but when it comes to the bigger scheme of things, as the church standard and scholars, you two are heretics.
1: Only Jesus can prove us wrong.
2: (laughs) Is that the question? It's like, listen guys, before I enter into the pearly gates, I need to know. We, was gotta, that, know. we gotta know. That field
0: was it planted? There's gonna be a neon signs of it have be like, Matthew and Mason made it today. Honestly, they're <laughs> he's gonna put a big sign out there, Matthew and Mason's field. <laughs> and in the new heaven, new earth, like oh, there's, there's gonna be a plaque next to that uh, next to that field. You're like, right. Jesus. Was I really the only one that figured this out? <laughs> like you and Mason. That's why I'm oh calling gosh. this the field of M&Ms. Oh, yes. Oh, it's beautiful.
2: That was beautiful. Mm. I, I, yeah. I will attest. That was, a, that, was a, that was a good statement. Glorious. So here, here's, the, here's the big scheme of things when it comes to the relationship and the unity of the church is that the truth of Christ will unify us all. That's the thing. The truth of Christ is what brings us together. But heresy by its true nature, cannot coexist with the truth of Jesus. So when we put Christ at the center focus, we go back to Scripture, when we are brought with different understandings or different characteristics that we're not sure of is the truth of Jesus, go back to Scripture. Make Scripture your standard. Make Scripture where you're going back. Okay, what does Jesus say? What is Jesus doing? What exactly is going on here? Look at the context. Use some good hermeneutics here. And here's what Jesus says in, in John chapter 17, uh, verses 22 and 23. He says, I have given them the glory you have given me. And he's, he's, he's talking, he's praying for us. And this is the in the, in the garden before he's being brought to trial. He's praying for the believers. He says, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Christ, he's saying, he's talking to guys that God, he's like, God Allow them to to put their focus on me, and allow them to put their focus on us, so that we can be unified together. And so, when Christ is taken out of the picture, I think this is where, or the character of Christ and the character of God and the character of the Holy Spirit, you know, the way the Trinity functions, uh, if that is taken out of the picture, and our human fallen logic or our philosophy, our human fallen philosophy is brought. To the forefront of the understanding of Scripture, that's where you get heresies. That's where you get some false understandings of how Scripture and, and how God works and how salvation works and how does free will work and all this stuff. So when Christ is eliminated, that's when ourselves are elevated. And guess what? Um, it doesn't end so well when we're elevated to the status of deity, you know.
0: So there's a lesson on heresy from... God's three favorite heretics.
1: <laughs> I love that statement. I really do. It's a terrible, sure,
0: but it defines us. But in all seriousness, we did touch on uh, a little bit how due to that, again, that fallen logic, uh, it's it almost seems easy. For like a, a new believer, or even a not so new believer, to accidentally fall into some of these heresies. So, if anyone listening to this is thinking like, "Man, what if there's a, a spiritual blind spot that I have? What if, what if there is an area that I've misunderstood Scripture or not uh, studied it closely enough, and I'm falling into some weird heretical category that I don't know about yet?" To which I would answer: Read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Get get into Scripture. Pray, meditate on it. And hey, reach out to, to fellow Christians. Uh, knock some heads together and figure out, like, hey, what what does this scripture mean? What what does uh, this theological concept come from? Hey, does this belief that I have test against the word of God? And if you don't have anyone on hand to talk
2: to right now, hey, talk to us. So a, a good book recommendation if you're interested in heresies and how past his how past heresies have influenced and infected the church of today, it's called a book. It's called uh, Superheroes Can't Save You by Todd Miles. Uh, this is a book, basically, it's a fun read because it, it takes each heresy and parallels them to superheroes and saying, you know, I think like the, the monophysitism of Jesus is 50% God and 50% man. It's like, I think that's a Spider-Man heresy where he's not 100% man but he's not 100 spider so it's like yeah that's that's a good analysis there a good analogy there so if you're interested in learning more about heresies and how that's affected us today is the superheroes can't save you by todd miles so uh, that's a good read recommend
0: yeah i didn't think to to recommend books written by smart people, but that's also a very good resource when it comes to understanding Scripture. I mean, I think I think anyone that wants to understand Scripture, you're going to have to consult some, some literature by some very well-learned people at some point yeah. in your life. But of course, along with that, you can, you can also reach out to us, start some conversations in the Facebook group, or email
2: us or something like that. There's plenty almost, of heresies on Facebook. Oh, yeah, plenty oh, of heresies that, I, that I'm dishing out on there.
0: But there's a nice little island of perfect <laughs> theology known as the, the Cross Training uh, Podcast Facebook group. Oh, of course, gosh. you can find links to that and to all of our other social medias in our, our show notes. And as always, unchangingly, non-heretically, Tanner, give us those
2: magic words. Peace out.